Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Romans chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 11. Let me kind of tell you, tell you where we're at this morning. Here, here's the, the, the title of the message that, that I'm going to bring to you so we can focus on a theme in our study. Uh, we're, going to give it, we're, we're going to talk about being paid to win. And that's like as opposed to being paid to play, God actually pays us to win. But, but you need to understand what winning looks like. And let me tell you where I came up with the message that I'm going to, or started coming up with the message that I'm going to talk about. A few weeks ago at TGK, we have uh, had what we call our business meeting. And it's once a year, our denomination requires that we kind of, you know, pull back the curtain and, and, and unfold where are we at as a church in every respect from finances to our facilities to where we're headed in ministry direction. And so that was a few weeks ago. Well, I'm prayerfully preparing for my part and, uh, and we, by the way, we had all great things to report, and so this one should have been a pretty easy business meeting. But as I was leaning in and preparing, and, and I, you know, I began by thanking the Lord and celebrating uh, and just kind of you know, uh, uh, rejoicing in the fact that God's been so faithful to us, that His Word has been true. Uh, when I say that you know, we, we've been blessed in the middle of COVID, that, that's an understatement. However, um, it doesn't mean that every day was a blessing. There, I mean, there were some pretty challenging times. Uh, Heather Gray sat on the council through a number, number of those, and we had some pretty deep discussions, a lot of prayer, and Lord, what do you want us to do? And, uh, and then just trying to trust the Lord. But every single one of those things eventually came out as a blessing, came out to our favor. And I was rejoicing over that. At the same time, though, in the back of my mind, I've got all the newsreels that are currently, you know, running all over the world. And uh, no matter where you turn, if you're in watching news or you're scrolling Facebook or you're, you know, kind of clicking around on your computer, they keep coming up. And we got a lot of crazy, crazy stuff happening, you know, starting with what's going on, you know, in, in the COVID is now they got a new Delta and whether you're vaccinated or not, you know, we don't know if it's actually going to work, masks or no masks, restrictions or no restrictions. And everything's still up in the air. And uh, I know that we were all hoping that it would be over by now. And it seems like, you know, we might have kind of a, 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 just a new layer that's starting to peel out. And we're like, what does that mean? Well, then you got the whole Afghanistan thing that's happening. And, and they're, you know, they're, they're saying that uh, not only are there Americans there that are still trapped, but, uh, but that also is giving a whole new strength and a whole new invigoration to terrorism from uh, some, some of those Middle Eastern groups that we thought we'd kind of, you know, got them, you know, quarantined away. Uh, and yet here they are again. And now they're armed better than ever, and they're gaining momentum in Afghanistan. And so what does that mean for our country? Plus, we're watching, uh, you know, the economy teeter, and it looks like we're leaning towards inflation. We're already feeling some of that, but we don't know how deep we're going to go into it. And then you've got, you know, a hurricane that's brewing in the Gulf right now that may shut down all the oil production. And what does that mean, you know, for us for a while? And I could just go on and on and on, right? But I don't want to because it, it might happen to you what happened to me. I started thinking about all this stuff, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, shoot. I mean, Lord, you were faithful, and I appreciate all that, but wow, look, look what's going on right now. This is serious, and it seems to accelerate, and it's intensifying. And, and then I got to thinking about me as an individual, as a, a husband, as a dad, as a grandpa, as a pastor, and all of a sudden realizing in and of myself, 
I don't even pretend to have it all together to be able to face all the crazy stuff that's coming. And I started feeling kind of nervous on the inside. And so I'm wrestling with all these things. And all of a sudden, I, I went from being pretty confident and pretty excited to all of a sudden being pretty like, you know, wide eyed and then to starting to feel a little insecure. And, uh, and so fortunately, I've, I've learned to not let my emotions take me. And so I kind of shut that down and went back to the Lord. And he reminded me of Romans chapter 7. It's one of my favorite places in the Bible because Paul has this vulnerability. And I'm just going to kind of skip a rock across chapter 7, the the end of chapter 7 and the first 30 verses of chapter 8 to get to where I want to go this morning. But Paul, at the end of chapter 7, he's just like he's in a counselor's office and he's just telling you, I'm struggling. And here's what he's struggling with. On one side, he can see the victory that we have in Christ and how real the Word of God is and how faithful God is to literally, measurably, I mean tangibly do what he promised he would do. But on the other side, he can see the reality of his own weakness and his own flesh and his own vulnerability to fear and insecurity and temptation, etc. And at the end of chapter 7, he's wrestling, saying, I I know how I should feel, and I know what I should be doing because I'm a follower of Christ, but I have to admit, this is oftentimes what I end up feeling like, and what I end up doing, and they're the opposite of what I'm supposed to be feeling and supposed to be doing. And he said, I've got this wrestling match on the inside, and the last verse of Romans chapter 7, in my paraphrase, just said, how do you win that victory? How do you win that wrestling match? Because you can't just stay wrestling all the time. You know, am I trusting God? Am I not trusting God? Am I afraid? Am I, am I courageous? And you can't stay in that wrestling match all the time. It's emotionally and mentally exhausting. And Paul's just kind of being honest for a minute and saying, I don't know how to fix this. And then he rolls into chapter eight and it's like chapter eight, the lights finally came on and the Holy Spirit begins to remind him. And he says, okay, so this is how. So this is skipping a stone in, in chapter eight. In chapter eight, he begins and he says, the first thing I've got to do is I've got to get rid of all guilt and condemnation. I, I can't look through my life and say, well, I'm messing up there and I'm still haven't grown there and I'm pretty weak there. And, and therefore I don't deserve, you know, what God promised he would do. Or therefore I deserve God's wrath or God's anger. He said, When Christ Jesus came in, he settled all of that for me. So the first thing I have to do is any condemnation that's pushing me away from God and making me think that God won't come through, he said, I got to get rid of that. And then he begins in verse number two, and he starts telling us why, and he goes all the way to verse eight, and he said, the reason is because the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, this brand new life in Christ, has completely set me free from the laws of sin and the consequences of sin that eventually bring me to death, death of a dream, a death, you know, de- death of, my, of my momentum, death of a relationship, and eventually you know, death of the, of the person. He says, but I'm being completely set free from that. And he talks about uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, in verse 14, then he picks up and he talks about how the Holy Spirit's leading us into this victory and how he's reminding us we're legitimate children of God. This is not just a religious, you know, kind of a name we get. Yeah, you know, I'm God's kid. And we literally were born into God's family. So even though here, we're not always sure in heaven, 
we're a, we're we're a legitimate citizen of heaven already. Our names already up there. We're God, we're part of God's family. We bear His name in heaven and really on earth too. And verse verses fourteen through seventeen tells us that. And because we're a child, we're a joint heir with Jesus. It means all the benefits that Jesus inherited by paying the price on the cross and then being exalted to the right hand of God, all those benefits that he has now by being part of his father's family, we're joined into those benefits. And, and we're just as legitimately uh, uh, given those benefits as Jesus is. And then finally in verse 18 through 30, he finally comes back and he says, but, but while we're here on earth, he said, there, there's some pain, there's some suffering, you're going through some challenging times. And he says, even though this is an inevitable, he said, the Holy Spirit is very real and works in every situation with us and is always working for us, making sure that every twist and turn, the good ones and the not so good ones, all of those are eventually going to come around and are working for our good if we will keep our trust in him. So he's wrestling through this whole thing, right? Uh, God's good, God's promises are, are real, but life is really bad and it's really scary and I don't know if I can hang on by myself and I feel like, you know, that, that, uh, that it, oh, life can overwhelm me and he's wrestling with all these things. Like, how do I put it all together? And that's when we get to verse number 31 and that's where we're going to pick up in the scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. You with me so far? Okay, I'm having a great time. I don't know if you guys are or not. Uh, but I hope you jump on board with this because this will be a really encouraging and a strengthening message for you. So Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So Paul's now going to ask a question. He's wrestled through all of this, and then he's going to ask a question that would be just like you and I, right? We, we get to the end of, like, we're trying to figure something out and wrestle through. Well, you know, th- this is what's going on. We only got this much money, or, and we don't know if, if we're going to have to save some for this. And he gets to the end of this, and he says, so what do we do? Or or what do we say to all these things? In other words, when you put all this together, God's promise and the world's scariness and my weakness, when you put all that together, he said, how do you build that equation in your mind? How, How am I supposed to wrestle with that? He says, what shall we say to these things? And then Paul answers and he says, here's my conclusion. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God's on our side... Then, then what in the world, literally, can come our direction that should freak us out and make us insecure? I mean, if, if God's already on our team, and God says, hey, I got you. No matter what happens, I got you. And if we really know that's true, Paul says, if God is really for us, then who can be against us? And then he, then he starts saying, here's some of the things that, you know, that, I, that I think about. He says, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also give us freely of all things? In other words, if Jesus loved us so much that he gave the most precious thing he had, his son, literally to die, why would God not give us the other stuff that we need? I mean, real. You can't can't think religious here, or it's just going to be like, oh, that's kind of a cool thought. But when you're in the trenches of trying to figure out how do I do this, it doesn't bring any strength and confidence because you didn't receive it or you didn't hear it as, no, th- this is real. And Paul's saying this is for real. He's saying, if God's for me and God didn't even withhold Jesus, well, Jesus was the top of the list. Everything else is under here. Why wouldn't God be willing to give me some finances? Why wouldn't God be willing to bring healing? 
Why wouldn't God be willing to, get, to bring wisdom? How come God wouldn't be willing to go behind the scenes and whisper into somebody's ear who could create an opportunity for me to take that step that could get me to the next level? Why would I doubt that God would do that for me? Because he already gave me the most precious thing he had to demonstrate I'm all in. And if I'm legitimately his child, why wouldn't I come to these conclusions and say, hey, God's totally for me. Who can be against me? If he already gave me Jesus, why wouldn't he give me all the other things that he already promised he would give me? These are like legitimate questions that you and I, if we're sitting having coffee trying to figure something out, we'd be asking these questions. And, and then he comes and he's going to address some of the things that mess with our minds and mess us up. He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And, and that, that's addressing you and I and those little whispers that we have on the inside or maybe even, you know, the voice that comes from somebody else, maybe from somebody you actually love, but you're in a fight and they're like, well, who do you think you are? You know, you're Mr. Super Christian and, and you realize, you know, I'm not really a super Christian. And now you start thinking, well, maybe God's not going to do it for me. And he says, so who is it? Whether they're enemies or friends, or whether the voice is from inside of you, who is it that, that can really challenge and say, nope, you don't qualify? And he comes back and he says, is it God who justifies? Is God the judge or not? And of course, we would all answer, well, yeah. And, and to which Paul's you know, inferring, well, if God says we've been forgiven, and God says we've been righteous, and God says Jesus' blood was enough to pay for everything, including us being, you know, having access to the benefits, then who gets, to, who gets to dispute that? God's the judge. God already made this decision. He goes on in verse 34, and he says, And who is he who condemns? If God's saying that he loved us even when we were in our trespasses and sins, that he loved the world so much that he sent Jesus when everything was dark and we were like running away from him, then who is it that's condemning and making us feel guilty now and saying, see, you know, God, God doesn't really, you know, think that, you're, 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 that you love him enough. And who, who's saying that stuff to us? It's not God. And he's asking these questions to provoke our thinking and saying, that's exactly what happens to me. About the time that I see that God promised to do something and I'm saying, okay, Lord, I really need that, then here comes the voices. And then I share that with somebody that I love. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just trusting the Lord and asking him, like God's going to do that for you. And this happens to it. This is real life. This happens to us all the time. This happens to me, and I'm a pastor. And Paul's wrestling this through and saying, listen, I'm, I'm trying to help you to see how, how I navigate it. This is Paul talking so that you know how to navigate this. Okay, he goes on and he says, Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? In other words, even if you did mess up, even if you did make a mistake, do you not understand that Christ died and paid for the sins of the world, past, present, and wait for it, future? The, the, yeah, the, the mistake you're going to make when you yield to temptation, maybe this afternoon or tomorrow, you need to realize Christ already paid for that. He doesn't go back to the cross and give a little more blood because so-and-so messed up. He paid for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. And he says, listen, if Christ already died and he's already at the right hand of God, he said, and by the way, he says he's making intercession for us. That means that you have a court-appointed attorney that is designated to you. And Christ is standing before the judge of all the earth all the time and saying, hey, listen, real, real quick. I, I know that Gil did that again. 
And I know that he said he wasn't going to do it again, but he did. And I know that he even liked it. And he kind of admitted to that because he doesn't want to like it. He doesn't want to be tempted, but he did. But listen, I just want to remind you, he's not guilty because I've already paid for that in advance with my blood. So you've got an attorney that's going to you to clear the way so that you can come to the throne of God, even if you're coming to the throne of God, like, Rome, like, he, uh, like Romans uh, says, that you're coming to ask for mercy, and you're coming, like 1 John 1, 9 says, to get forgiveness of something you just did. Listen, that's already been cleared in the courts of heaven because Christ is doing this for you. Okay, so he, he's trying to help you to understand all those things that are telling you, yeah, God, God's not really going to do it for you because you're not good enough. He said, all of those things are complete lies. They're not based on the truth of God's word. And then he gets down to it in verse number 35. He says, let's just look at the the issue compared to the whole world. So who is it that shall separate us from the love of Christ? And let me just help you understand, the love of Christ is not talking about the warm fuzzies. Any more than you feel the warm fuzzies for the people that you love 24-7, 365 days a year. There are times when you love somebody that you're not super warm and fuzzy. You're frustrated. You guys are trying to work, work through something, and, and you're, not, you know, you're not super excited about that person right then. But that doesn't mean that you don't love them. That doesn't mean you're still not committed to this relationship, that you would do anything in the world for them. That just means we got a little something-something right here. That needs to be fixed so that we can move on and have fun. And this is exactly what what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, who is it? So he's listed a bunch of stuff, but he said, in case I miss something, who is it in your life? What, What is that that keeps coming and trying to separate you from Christ? And then he goes huge. He goes global. And he says, is it tribulation or distress? Is that what it is? When you go through really hard times and you're totally stressed out or you feel like you're destitute, like I, I cannot do it. Man, this thing's going to crumble right away. He says, or is it persecution? Are you getting hammered unjustly by somebody, maybe even for doing the right thing, and instead of getting appreciated, you're getting slammed for it? Maybe you're, you know, you're getting a demotion, you're losing your job because you stood up for truthful principles in a cancel culture. He says, is that what's going on? He says, is it famine? Are you struggling with food shortages? Are you struggling? Is it nakedness? Is it that, you know, there's not enough to cover my life, not just clothes, but to cover my life and I feel exposed and I feel vulnerable? He said, or is it peril? This is literally a death threat. Or is it sword? Are you literally standing and somebody's threatening your life, threatening to physically harm you? He said, what is it? And he wants us to be legit about that. What is it that causes us not to be confident that God will do what he promised he would do. Because if, we, if we're saved, we belong to God. He's on our side. He's that dad that will protect you no matter what. Even if he protects you from something silly that you did, and, he's, and he, he pushes you know, the, the attacker off, and then he turns around and says, boy, get in the room because we got to talk. He'll still defend you because you're his child. And he said, what is it that's separating it from you? And then he goes in verse, verse 36 and he says, as it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not talking to you because I got such a cushy life. He said, I'm under the gun too. I'm wrestling with all this stuff. In fact, other places, Paul lists all the stuff that he went through. And it was like horrendous. Like none of us will ever go through anything like that. 
And so he's saying this, but he's also quoting Psalm 44:22. That was a prophetic psalm that if you're going to live in a covenant with God, follow God, and, and we're in a sin-infected world, it, you're going to get in some hairy situations. It's not always going to be fluffy and easy and daisies. The enemy's going to look for every opportunity to challenge you. And he says, sometimes it's going to be life and death. And this was promised to us. This is not a surprise. This is part of what we signed up for, even though we're, not ho- we're hoping we don't ever have to do that. Verse 37, I'm, I'm coming to the end of what we're going to read. He said, yet in all of those things, Everything, all the way from the beginning where it was kind of personal, you know, and I'm wrestling with condemnation and stuff, all the way to the end where now it's global and the whole world's coming apart and being crazy and it looks like, how, how are we going to do that? He said, yet in all of these things, listen to this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we're going to come back to that because that's a huge statement that we love to quote and we love to, you know, kind of write it on the bottom of someone's card when we're trying to encourage them. But Paul's trying to get us to own that and say, no, this is legit. This is absolutely who you are. And he wants us to understand that he says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. Let me just stop for a second. The word persuaded is a Greek word that literally means I started with this opinion, and once I got all the information, I was swayed to change my perspective, and now I have a different opinion. And that's exactly what Paul's just walked us through. End of chapter 7, he's like, I'm struggling, man. I know what I should be thinking, what I should be feeling, what I should be doing, and I ain't thinking, feeling, doing none of that stuff. And he's struggling. He's like, and I don't, I don't know how to get back on track. I don't know how to do that. And so he comes here and he says, here's the way that happened to Paul. As he began to think through all this stuff and began to say, nope, that's not true. Nope, that's not going to talk me out of it. Nope, that's a lie. Nope, that's how I feel, but, but that's not what the word of God says. And he begins to sort all this stuff out. All of a sudden, his opinion about being able to be a person that lives in victory with joy and with confidence, his opinion feeling defeated all of a sudden began to change. And Paul was persuaded by the truth of God's word that I'm not going to feel that way anymore. I'm just not going to be afraid. I don't have to be insecure. I can be completely confident. And so Paul says, I am persuaded. And now listen to this. He's going to give you a series of kind of uh, these spectrums from one end of the spectrum to the other. He's going to say, I don't care if it's really bad or if it gets really good. It's not going to change my opinion of what God promised me. And so, and he gives you some real scenarios uh, if, if you'll kind of listen to him. He says, so I'm persuaded. My opinion's been changed from defeat all the way over to victory. He said that neither death nor life, even if this is like, this is it, it's all going to crumble right here. Or if this is what it takes to open things up so it can really be awesome. He said, it doesn't matter where I am on that, uh, on that spectrum of experience. doesn't matter how I feel. He said, the truth is I've already been persuaded. I'm more than a conqueror. And then he comes back and he lists these other. He says, listen, with angels, nor principalities, nor powers. So even if it's not something physical, but there's something spiritual that's happening here, whether I'm just like so excited because, I mean, God's in the house and this is awesome, or I feel like the devil's just pounding me every single day. He said, it doesn't matter where I'm at on that line of experience and what I feel. He said, I've already been persuaded that I'm more than a conqueror in this thing. 
He goes on and he says, oh, what about things present or things to come? So I'm looking at my situation now, and then I'm looking at the news thinking, oh, shoot, man, it's not getting better. It's going to get worse. He said, it doesn't matter whether I'm out on that. He said, i am already been persuaded that because God's on my side, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved us. And then he says, nor height, nor depth, doesn't matter, no matter how expertise and what all the statistics say, you know, just the height of knowledge and of confidence, or, or whether it's super deep and complex, it's hidden. We don't even know what the truth is. And we've got all that stuff. He said, it doesn't matter. He said, listen, and he said, and if I missed any, nor any other created thing, nothing. He said, go ahead, fill in the gaps. What did I miss? He says, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And just on its own merit, you can read that and, and, you know, and you're thinking, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But if we want it to really work in our life, then we have to say, okay, so what, what does that actually mean? When he says I'm more than a conqueror, is that something I just remind myself while I'm getting pounded, while life's falling apart, but I'm more than a conqueror, I'm more than a conqueror, I'm more than a conqueror. Because that doesn't work, by the way. That just doesn't. You have to begin to really realize this stuff is real. And so let, let, me, let me kind of walk you through what Paul's really trying to say. The word conquer comes from the Greek word nikos, where we get the Nike, you know, kind of the Nike emblem. And it literally describes uh, someone who's a champion someone who's an overcomer, someone who walks through something and is victorious. So they, they win. And that's what it literally means. However, when Paul's trying to understand this, he's like, yeah, we're, we're champions in Christ. And he's like, no, nah, that, that doesn't really do it, though, because there's more involved in that. And so Paul, prompted by the Holy Spirit, adds this word, hooper, in front of the Greek word, nikos. And it makes this compound word, and now it means you're not just a champion, you're like an overwhelmingly dominant champion. Here's the illustration that works in my mind. It's kind of like if a middle school basketball player was going to challenge the all-star of the NBA. Who do you think is going to win that game? I mean, one of those people are so overwhelmingly dominant in their size and their strength and their skill and their maturity that you're looking and you're like, anybody want to make a bet? Ah, this is a sure thing. And, and that's exactly what it's pointing to here. He said, you don't know this, but you are overwhelmingly dominant in any situation in life. You walk in and you should know before, before you even know what's going on. I don't know what I'm about to walk into, but here's what I know. I am so overwhelmingly dominant because of what God has promised me in my life that there's no, I can't lose here. I just can't lose. I, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but, but I just can't lose here. Now listen, not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. We come and we say, it's not because I'm so smart and I'm so rich and I'm so strong and I'm so wise and I'm so strategic. I'm none of those things compared to all the stuff that's happening. But I'm a child of a heavenly father who's above all of it. And I'm, I don't mean just generically. He knows me by name. He knows every hair on my head. Doesn't know me as well as he used to, obviously. He knows everything about me. He created me and he's watching me all the time as if I was his only child. And because of that, I don't care what I walk into, I am overwhelmingly dominant. The odds are in my favor like a thousand to one that I'm going to come out of this thing a, 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 a conqueror, a winner, because of who's, who's, who I belong to, not because of who I am. Now, 
Let's talk about a winner for a minute, because if you look at the Bible, there's several different levels of winning, and we don't always sort these out. There's, of course, you know, an eternal winner, and that's the rewards we're going to get in heaven. We get to spend heaven with Jesus. And there's some people that put everything in that category. Well, you can't really count on God doing anything here, but everything's eternal, right? So, but someday it's going to be awesome. By the way, someday it's going to be more awesome than we can possibly understand. But that's only one category. It's the most important one, but it's only one category. There's another category that I'll just call the miraculous win. And that's when out of nowhere, suddenly, you know, God just does something. You're like, what just happened? I was in the middle of this thing. I was up to my eyeballs. I was sinking fast. And all of a sudden, you know, I woke up one morning and it's over. And I'm way on the top. And somehow, you know, all, all of the, the gold stars are on my, my line. And I don't know how that happened. And by the way, that's what most Christians are hoping for all the time. Can I just have somebody pray for me? And I go home and there's $10 million in my driveway. And my wife thinks I'm a superstar again. And all my hair's back. And I got six-pack abs. You know, everything's great. And I, we just want God to do some miraculous, crazy thing. And by the way, he does that. And we all love it when he does, right? We ooh and we ah and we praise the Lord and we should. That's exciting. But that's, that's only one category. <clears throat> the last category is what I'm going to call day-to-day win or a progressive win. And by the way, this is the biggest category all the way through the Bible. This is the one the Bible tells us that we need to learn to live in this category and to recognize this is how God works most of the time From time to time, he does some crazy, miraculous thing. But most of the time, everything that the New Testament, the Old Testament, but especially the New Testament tells us is how do we live in a day-to-day victory with the Lord? How do we live day-to-day and allow this thing to progressively unfold just the way he said? Um, And you can see this really clear in the second verse that I asked you to go to. And so if you're tracking with me, go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. All right, we're turning the corner. Doing well. Hope you're still with me. This is real. This is not something Paul's just trying to give you a religious talk. He's trying to get you to say, man, you you should live this way because it works. And so Hebrews chapter 11, if if you know anything about Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of, you know, one of the highlight reels of the New Testament. Well, really the whole Bible. It's like the, the, uh, the God's hall of fame. So this is, these are all the patriarchs and all the people that faced overwhelming odds. And, and you're reading and you're like, oh, it's over. There's no way they're going to get out of this. And bam, all of a sudden God does something crazy and a whole nation you know, is, is spared and saved. And, and so th- this is what you're finding in Hebrews chapter 11. But six verses into it, God pauses. And rather than just keep going down the list of all these crazy, wonderful things, God pauses and he puts a verse in there for you and I to understand. Let me see what's really going on behind the scenes with these people because that is what, it's what's going on with me too. And he shows us how we can find ourselves in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith, Hall of Fame, which is still being written, by the way. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that it was kind of paused long enough for the Bible to get in print. But in heaven, they're still writing that. And at some point, we can see the full version, and our name will be in there somewhere. All right, so here's what Hebrews eleven six 6 says. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So there's a few things I want to point out so you can really understand what God's saying and how do I climb into that verse and begin to live it out. The first thing I want, I want you to see is he says without, without faith. It's the Greek word koris, 
And it literally is talking about a designation. It means to be outside of somewhere. For example, Debbie and I live in Fort Mill. We drove into Catawba to be here this morning, but we don't live in Catawba. We live outside of the city limits of Catawba. We live inside of the city limits of Fort Mill. And this is exactly what this is talking about. In fact, he's showing that when it comes to you trusting God, you can say whatever you want. Oh, I'm just trusting the Lord. You can say that. But really, what the, the, there's a spiritual measurement like, but are you inside of your trust in God? Are you really living in, in that trust in God? Or are you saying that you trust God, but really you're just driving in there when, you know, when it's time to go to church, but really you live outside of really trusting God? In fact, you could expand this verse, and I'm not fudging the scriptures, but you could expand the verse to read this way. If you choose to live outside of the parameter of faith-filled thinking and talking and acting, then you've automatically chosen not to live inside of that same God-pleasing circle. And here's, here's the catch, because you can't be in two places at the same time. But you know what? I can't tell you how many Christians do this all the time. Listen, even, even a pastor here who I've studied and I understand this, I find myself slipping if I'm not careful, and I've got to kind of pull myself back inside of the city limits of faith. Because, man, these crazy things and your feelings and discouragement and somebody says something and it makes you feel like unworthy or undeserving or like a failure. And pretty soon, all, you know, you're, you're drifting and you find yourself outside of the city limits of faith. And you need to say, what am I doing? Like Paul was doing, I need to get back inside of faith. And he's saying, listen, when it comes to faith, either you're in or you're out. Now, I know that not every Christian likes to hear that. Because Pastor James, in his book, James chapter 1, says this, that there's a lot of Christians live double-minded. I'm trusting the Lord, but then they're like, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This, this, this doesn't look like it's going to happen. Are you trusting the Lord or are you not trusting the Lord? And he said, if you're double-minded, if you're saying, I'm trusting the Lord, but you're not really trusting the Lord, he says, everything in your life is going to be unstable because you keep running back and forth and back and forth. And he said, and if you're there, while you're there, don't expect to receive anything from the Lord. He's not being harsh. He's trying to help you to say, listen, make a decision. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is a calculated decision based on information in the Bible. I, I can feel completely terrified and at the same time make a decision to move inside of faith because God promised that if I dwelled in the secret place of the Most High, nothing's going to touch me. <clears throat> and, and this is what he's trying to get us to understand. So he says in Hebrews eleven six, he says, if you're living outside of the limits of really trusting God, he says, that's going to be a problem for you. The first thing you do is you need to get inside of faith. You need to get inside the city limits. You need to find out what did God say and just trust him just because God said it. But then he goes on and he gives you, gives you and I uh, two ways to take a self-assessment. So at any point in time, in any situation, we can know exactly whether we're in faith or not. And this is wonderful. I use this all the time and, uh, and you should use it too. But watch it. He says this. So without faith, it's impossible to please God for or because... Whoever wants to draw near to God must, everybody say must, not optional. 
This is how it works. This is literally how, how this faith kingdom stuff works. He said must, and he's going to say two things must happen, and you take those two things and you measure what's going on in your life. He says, number one, you must believe that he exists. So in other words, it's saying when it comes to believing that God is God and God will do what he promised, you've got to make a decision, either you're in or you're out. Now used to, I've been a pastor for a while, right? Used to, that was pretty easy. Almost every single Christian, 100% of the time said, oh no, I, I know that God's God. I know that God can do this, no question about it. The, the crazy thing is, in the culture we live in today, there's a lot of Christians that don't even know that anymore. I mean, they, they know that there's this higher power up there, but they're not even sure if he's the only God and they're not even sure if that God is, is involved in the affairs of men. They think it's all going to happen up there. And so he says, the first thing you have to ask yourself, whatever it is you're facing, okay? So I'm afraid of COVID. I got a financial crisis here. I'm stuck, man. I just can't get to the next level. And I know there's more in me. I, I want to do better so bad, but I don't know how to get there. Well, you ask yourself, okay, when it comes to that going on, first thing, do you believe that God is really God? Yes or no? And if you answer no, you got to stop and you got to fix that. If you answer yes, then move to question two. And he said the second thing is you must believe that he exists. And question two is and that he rewards those who seek him. So if you believe God's really God, then when it comes to believing that God will keep his promise... Do you believe, are you inside or are you outside? Are you inside of faith or are you outside? Do you believe that God will keep his promise or not? By the way, you believe that other people that you know should keep their promise, right? I mean, we have, we have friends, we have confidence, we have people, and you would expect them to keep their promise. And if they don't keep their promise, you're, you're not just appalled, you're hurt. You're like, what? You, you promised. Remember, you promised me. I asked you and you said, I promise, I promise. And then you just didn't do it? What's that all about? Not only that, we hold ourselves accountable to the people that we love, to our kids, to our, you know, to our spouses and, and, and to the, the, our other family. We hold ourselves accountable. If we say, nope, I promise, then that means that we've committed ourselves, we should do it. I don't know why we can't get it through our head that when God promised, that was legit. His integrity's on the line. Either, pardon me for saying this, he won't get mad at me. Either God's lying or he's not. And you've got to get inside or outside of that equation. You've got to figure this out. I don't know why God would have said that because, wow, that's a huge promise, but he said it. And either I'm inside of believing that or I'm outside. I, I, just, I just can't believe that. You've you got to really make, make a decision. And if you're outside of it, don't get all beat up about it. Just acknowledge, okay, so there's my challenge right there. My challenge is I'm struggling. I know God can do it. I'm just struggling to believe that he'll do it for me. And there you go. That, that's where you start and say, well, then what does the Bible say? So I can be persuaded to not think that God won't do it for me. How can I be persuaded that I know that I know that I know that God will do it for me, even though I don't deserve it, but he'll do it because Jesus deserves it. And I'm in a relationship with Jesus. See, now th these are Bible truths. This is how it really works. Now, let, let me take you to the next thing. He says that 
He will reward those who seek him. What does that mean to seek him? Does that mean you got to quit your job and read your Bible all day long and, you know, fast, you know, for 40 days and, and stay in the prayer closet? And, and what, what does that really mean? And the Greek word seek means to search for something with all of your heart and your strength. In fact, uh, the Greek is a very pictorious language, and it gives a picture here of someone who's been on the hunt They've been researching something. They, they've been looking for something, and, and they, they look everywhere. They call everybody. They're, they're searching the Internet. They're asking all their friends, and they just can't get this out of their mind. They're hunting, hunting, hunting to the point that they're exhausted. I mean, they're just uh, exhausted because I just keep hunting and hunting and hunting. But notice what God says to hunt for. He says, don't go hunt for the answer. Don't go hunt for a better strategy. Don't go hunt for how you can be more self-disciplined so you can somehow, you know. He said, I'm not asking you to seek for any of that. He says, seek me. Come lean into a relationship with me. Come see what the promises of God, what God's already said, that you already qualify, not, not for, not because you're so good, but because of what Jesus did. What did he purchase for you? What already belongs to you? It's kind of like, you know, if you get in a, a, an auto accident or something happens to the house. I don't know about you, but I don't sit around, you know, reading my insurance policies all the time. But when something happens, I'm, I mean, I'm, I want to be a legal expert. I want to read that. I'm calling, you know, saying, hey, can you tell me what this says? Because, I, I mean, I'm reading all the words, but I don't know what that means when they're all together. It's legalese. And, I mean, I'm searching to try to understand what already belongs to me. And this is what he's saying. You seek him. You allow the Holy Spirit to come and say, let, let me show you how to find this. And if and as you do, here's, here's the climaxing point. If and as you do, God promises that he will reward you. You've got to believe that he's the rewarder of those that are searching him, that are leaning into the relationship. God, what did you say? What did you promise me? How, how, do, how, do, I need to, how, how do you want me to move forward in that? He says, if you'll do that, he said, he'll reward you. And, and this is the last word I'm going to tell you. This word reward is another compound word, and, and it's really crazy. If we just take the word, let it stand on its own merit, it literally means one who pays wages. So when he says he's reward you, it literally means he's signing a check and he's handing you a check. Okay, But this is a compound word. And when you peel the compound word apart and really understand it, all of a sudden it has this expanded meaning that really applies to our life. Because the first part of the word is mista, and it, it literally means money or persons, or it, it refers to a salary or like a paycheck. And so I would say this is a payout. So God says, if you'll really seek me and you'll stay with me, find out what I promised, lean in and said, man, it, I can't believe you promised that, but you promised it, so I need that so bad, and I'm just going to lean in just because you promised. I know I don't deserve it, but you promised, so I'm going to lean into that. If you'll stay with that and you'll allow the relationship you know, to kind of bring strength underneath, God says, I'll write you a check. I'll do exactly what I promised. But here's what's even better. And this, this is what really, you know, flipped my switch when I first found out. The second part of the word is epitomai. And, and it's a root word. And it literally, it doesn't mean to pay out. It means to pay back. It means to reimburse all of the expenses that accrued when you were on a project or you were on an assignment. So this is a settlement, a reimbursement settlement for any of the injuries, any of the losses, any of the inconvenience, any of the stress that you suffered while you were doing what you were asked to do. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I thought, oh my goodness. So in other words, when he says, I reward you, he's like, I'm not just going to reward you by doing what I promised I would do. That's what you came here in the first place for, and you should. But, but however long it takes, and whatever suffering you incurred, and whatever people were saying about you, and whatever, you know, you had, to, you had to adjust this and adjust that, and you had to pay extra money for what he said, I'm paying attention to every single one of those expenses. And not only will I reward you for coming and trusting me, but I'll pay you back for everything it cost you to get that reward in the first place. This is a promise of God himself. Anytime that you and I choose to move ourselves into or move ourselves back into faith, even though all the circumstances are screaming at us, when we move inside of that, of that circle of faith and say, I don't know, I'm trusting God, but we mean that. And we're leaning into the word of God and saying, God, talk to me. God, tell, show me. What did you say? Every time we do that, not only does he promise that he will pay us, reward us by giving us the promise that he said, it'll happen exactly the way he said it would happen. But he will reimburse us for any of the inconveniences, any of the frustration, any of the stress, any of the losses that happen during that time, he'll reimburse us. So when we get to the end of this thing, listen to me, we're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. Uh, listen, our, our budget line's not just back on track, our budget line is more than our budget line was before. We've got, we've actually have more in our account. All over the Bible it says, it's Ephesians 2.20 says that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly far more than you can even ask or you've even thought. But listen, according to the power, or let's say it this way, according to the faith that is working in you. Whether you made a decision to move yourself back inside of the city limits of faith and trusting God, or you allowed yourself to be persuaded by the overwhelming craziness and chaos that's going on around you, or you were persuaded at your own unworthiness and your own inability to, to meet the challenge, and, and so you drifted outside of the limits of faith. Whenever that happens... You do what Paul did, and you start building your equation and say, no, 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 this has never been about me. <clears throat> I've always needed a Savior. I couldn't rescue myself when I was lost in sin. I can't rescue myself now. I can't keep myself moving forward. But God promises me if I will lean in and I will seek a relationship with him, if I'll begin to look at and lean on what he's already promised me would do, God says, not only will I make sure to do what I promised, but I'll reimburse you for whatever effort, whatever it cost you to go after that, I'll reimburse you for it. So at some point, you'll come out on the other side and, and you'll be not just a conqueror, but you'll be more than a conqueror. Listen to me. I've been doing this for 35 years. This works exactly like the Bible says. It's not easy. Sometimes it happens pretty quick. Other times it takes a lot longer than you think. But God sustains you and reimburses you and keeps you going the whole way through. And when you get to the other side, all of a sudden you experience, man, that, that's not just like he said. That's more than what I thought he was trying to say because God because we're more than conquerors through him. Listen to me, th this is so important that we understand. I don't know where you're at today, but I want you to know, listen to me, God not only pays you to play, he pays you to engage a covenant with him, but God pays you to win, and you're not even the one pressured to win. God will make sure you're the winner. 
This is his promise. This is legitimately how it worked, and it worked for Paul over and over and over again, all the way through the New Testament, and it'll work for us today. I don't know where you're at today, uh, whether you're, you know, in the Romans 7, and you're wrestling like, oh, man, I just, I don't know how well I can win. I feel so discouraged, and I I keep trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing, or you're overwhelmed by everything going on outside, and it's like, where is this world going to? How can we survive? How can we sleep peacefully at night? Or, Or if you are living in the promises of God, I don't know where, but here's what I'm going to recommend based on what we just learned from Paul. I'm going to recommend wherever you're at, move into the city limits of faith. Begin spending more time in the word of God. If you don't know where to look in a Bible, uh, we've got Bible promise books here. And they just take straight scripture and they categorize them. If you need to know what what God said about finances, if you need to know what God said about relationship, about healing, about wisdom, about, you know, just on and on and on. There's all these different categories. We'll give you one of those. You won't even cost you anything. We'll give you one of those books. And we'll make sure that you have access. I, I have one at home. And after 35 years, I still use it all the time. I'll be going through something. I'll grab my Bible promise book and I'll say, I just need a condensed listing of all the things that God said and I'll start reading them many times out loud because I want my, my ears to hear my mouth saying, this is what God said to me. I know what my brain's thinking. I know what my emotions are thinking, but this is what God said to me. And guys, we're going to move back inside of the promise of God's word and we're going to let God do what he promised he would do because he's faithful to do what he said he would do every single time. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.